Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 1043 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Good morning, friends. Happy Thursday. Thursday, September 7th, 2023. Opening night in the NFL. The NFL season is upon us. We've been waiting a long time for this. And um, Orlando Franklin sitting here with me, Johnny Simmer behind the glass. How you doing, Orlando? Uh, honestly, Nate, not not that great today, man. Talk to me, man. What's going on? Um, well, you know, I kind of want to put this out there to the text line, too. To, to just text your opinion in 303-713-1043. I know you're, you have a weird, dark sense of humor, so I, I caution to tell you this. But uh, last night, I went out with my wife, and we were going to uh, a couple's dinner, a very well-known restaurant here in Colorado. And Chipotle? Yeah, we'll go with it. We'll, we'll go with that. But this well-known restaurant sells alcohol. Mm. And um, I've been three and a half years sober. That's something that has meant everything to me. Um, when I started this journey years ago, before my second child was born, it's just something that I've always, you know, fell back on, but also always kept in the back of my mind, right? And uh, my wife orders a cocktail. I order the mocktail version. Mocktail version, no alcohol. Um, waiter comes to the table, starts handing out drinks. I ask the waiter, hey, this is a mocktail, right? Um, they say yes. End up taking a big gulp. It's not a mocktail. Mm. So three and a half years for me, sobriety, down the drain last night. No, man, don't do that. Bro, for me, I know, I know, like, because my wife's been trying to talk to me about the same exact thing and saying, like, yeah, don't do that. Like, you're fine. Like, it was an accident. But at the same time, it's like, it's been three and a half years. Yeah. Like, no alcohol ever in my system, right? So I just feel like it just went down the drain last night. And immediately... Like, I felt it. Like, I, that's how I was able to tell that, like, it just, it felt weird going down. My stomach started bubbling, like, and I was just like, what the heck's going on? So, rough night last night. Didn't end up eating dinner at all. You know, um, the manager, super apologetic, tried to come up and, hey, if there's anything that we could do or please order something, like, we want to comp it, this, this, and that, but just really couldn't do it and just felt like like crap the whole entire night this morning even woke up and I still don't feel like myself my initial reaction here and you say that first off like um, your body you know rejected it right like immediately when it went into your body your body said no yeah you didn't voluntarily drink the alcohol you didn't say I'm going to drink alcohol right now it was a mistake something was put in front of you that you didn't believe was alcohol so to me you are still three and a half years sober and going. Like you do this this is not ending that streak. You didn't choose to drink. That was a mistake. You took one sip, realized it was wrong for you, and didn't have any more, correct? Yeah, no more. No more. Just right there. Just done. So the streak is still alive. And if you want to look at it with a silver lining, it didn't taste good to you. It wasn't like, oh, wow, this is great. I miss this. I want to get back on this train. It was like, no, this is disgusting. I don't want this in my body. Yeah, it I tore think me up, man. So I think that's a great sign, man, that you yeah. that you're past that that craving or that taste for it, and that that can be a reminder of that that you are actually stronger than it now, and uh, you're not you don't have a weakness for it. Whereas 
if you taste it once, you're going to fall back into it. You tasted it, and you're like, nah, get this the heck away from me. In a way, it just kind of reaffirmed what you've been doing. Yeah, no, that's a great way to look at it, you know, because I, I've told people I, I didn't like the taste of alcohol. When I used to drink, I, I loved the taste of alcohol. Um, so, you know, that is a great way to look at it because immediately it, my body just felt off, and, you know, it wasn't something that I, I was fiending. And I've always wondered, like, hey, is it a slippery slope? If I had a drink, if I had a taste, would I just revert back to my old ways? So, but nevertheless, still extremely frustrating because, I mean, it's three and a half years, dude. I mean, yeah. that, that's something that for me was a big deal, you know, and I get what you're saying, but, you know, part of me believes that I should just start all over. Like, should just, okay, no. this is day one. No way. Yeah. I no mean, way. we'll see. We'll see. No way, man. Yeah, don't be hard on yourself. And also, you know, mistakes happen. Like, they're back there at the bar making it. And uh, if they looked exactly the same, right? Did, yeah. did, did Kiana get the, the mocktail then? Um, yeah, she, she They flipped, flipped it on flipped accident? It, yeah. yeah, I mean, so mistakes are made. And as long as they were apologetic and, you know, trying to make the rectify the situation, I think that, look, um, you shouldn't feel bad about it. You did nothing wrong. And uh, like I said, man, you didn't like it. And that's yeah. a great sign. You've moved past that stage in your life. You're yeah. much you're much happier now. Yeah, no, for sure. Not putting that stuff in your body. So uh, don't beat yourself up. You're, you're a fantastic man. Okay? Appreciate you're it. handsome. You're Pre- smart. Appreciate you're successful. You, yeah. All right? You're healthy. What else you got for me? You're funny. Nah. You got a great <laughs> smile. Yeah, I do have that. <laughs> you're, a great, you're a great dresser. Really good sense of style. Oh, man. I appreciate it, man. I, I really do appreciate it because it's been frustrating. It's it's really been frustrating since last night. Okay, well, we're going to move you, you beyond that frustration and talk some ball here. Yes, you know sir. I mean? let's, get you out of, let's get you out of your head because uh, the Broncos and Raiders are on our doorstep, man, and the, and the Raiders have won six straight games against the Denver Broncos, eight of the last nine. I just don't understand how that's possible. I mean, the Raiders haven't necessarily been good during this time. They've had the Broncos' number. Why do you think that is? Why have the Raiders been able to, even in the midst of bad seasons, always beat the Broncos? I think the Raiders have circled the Broncos and looked and recognized what the Broncos have been going through, right? It's been turmoil here since Peyton Madden has walked out the door and just kind of the ensuing teams that have, have followed. And then you look at kind of what's going on. We all know, like... We're not a fool to understand what's going on right now with Chris Jones out there in KC and Travis Kelsey. So we all hear about these different things that are going on in these programs, right? With the Chargers and this, the, the Austin Elker holdout and all these different things that have happened. Keenan Allen getting hurt early last year. When's he going to come back? So you hear about other organizations. And I think the Raiders have heard about the Broncos and said, well, there's dysfunction over there. Like, this is one game that we got to, like, circle and say, you know what? When that schedule comes out, that's a win. And that's how I think the coaching staff, whether it's been Josh or uh, what was it? Rick, what was uh, the special? Passaccio. Passaccio, yeah. Yeah, so, like, it didn't matter who was at the head of that thing. They looked at the Broncos and said, okay, you know, this this should be an easy win. And and that's what I believe over the last couple years have been the thought process for some of these uh, coaches, but especially the Raiders. And Sean Payton's been brought in to change that, right? To change that sort of, oh, looking at the schedule, see the Broncos, circle them, easy win. They're in disarray. Ownership has has been solidified here. And now Sean Payton, uh, the man who's going to solidify the team and make him play top-notch football again. And that means eliminating the pre-snap penalties and all the shenanigans we saw last year. But 
This Seth Wickersham piece in ESPN has a lot of interesting nuggets, and we're going to dive a little bit further into it. Now, Sean Payton wanted to leave New Orleans because he felt like the league was after him, and he wanted a fresh start. Is he going to get one here in Denver? That's next. VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Shade. Good God, it's a raid. Well, the text line is spoken, Orlando. You shared, a, you shared a story there that last segment about um, your three and a half years of sobriety being tested last night when you ordered a mocktail and they gave you a cocktail unbeknownst to you you took a sip you didn't break your streak man everyone agrees you got nothing to feel bad about and in fact you should feel good that your body rejected it yeah no and and i appreciate everybody that texted in you know i really appreciate the response and just the kind words so thank you guys yep streaks alive man don't be down on yourself um the broncos don't be down on yourselves even though you've lost six straight Games to the Raiders, eight of the last nine contests against the Raiders were losses. But Sean Payton is here to change all that. He's going to get a chance to do it on Sunday against, I believe, a vulnerable Raiders team. I do believe the Broncos are going to have a chance to beat this team and beat them handily. Um, but this Seth Wickersham piece in ESPN is a fascinating read. It's very long. Um, it's, it takes a while to get through, but it's a real deep dive into the psyche of our new head coach here. And... One of the very first quotes in this article is Sean Payton talking to the, the author and saying, I'm cynical when it comes to New York, and following up it up with saying, I think it starts with Roger, and that's Roger Goodell. Um, there's a lot of things went wrong for, for Sean Payton in New Orleans as far as league discipline. He was suspended for a whole year. He presented the league with evidence towards the end of his tenure that um, suggested that New Orleans was getting jobbed by the refs. His opponents for four straight years were 30th, 31st, 32nd, and 32nd in the league in penalties called. He cited that as evidence that things were uh, not on the up and up. Yeah. What makes him think he's going to get a fresh start here? Because he's talked about that in the article, coming here and getting a fresh start. I have no idea. Um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing in Sean Payton's mind, something changed last year with um, the new ownership. And... <laughs> I mean, I guess you could look at it, because yesterday I said something. I was like, well, the Broncos, the, the league office was like, hey. And Roger Goodell was like, hey, you guys messed up. You guys are going to play with a wide receiver at quarterback. When, coincidentally enough, they were playing against the Saints in yeah, that game. Right. Right? So, right. Good point. Um, you know, I looked at that, but maybe it's of the opinion of a new ownership. Right? Walden Penner Group, richest group in NFL ownership. Um, maybe that now sways it a little bit, but I'm, I'm not able to connect the dots, Nate. Are, are you able to connect the dots? Is there a dot that I'm missing here? No, I think that there's a little bit of paranoia that's evident in, in the article and the things that he says about it. Um, clearly, there's a personality conflict between Sean Payton and Roger Goodell. Those two men don't like each other. Okay, and Roger Goodell is in charge of the league, and he represents the interests of the owner. But something that you just said about the Walton Penner group now taking over, they are the richest owners in the NFL, and Roger Goodell does answer to them, and they all of a sudden do have some power. Is Roger Goodell really going to want to get off on the wrong foot with their new ownership group by holding um, Sean Payton to account for old beef on his new team 
which is a new ownership group. Yeah, but if you're a new ownership group, doesn't Sean Payton, isn't he more attractive to you when you're going through the process of learning football? Because my opinion last year was like, hey, this ownership's not stepping in and not like forcing certain things upon Nathaniel Hackett because they're learning how to own a football team. I agree with that. So when you look at it like that, like, okay, if I'm the Walton Palin group, I want the guy that over is over obsessed about everything that wants to go to war with the league office that wants to sit there and say, yeah, that's not right. And I'm going to tell you why it's not right. I'm going to give you different examples. I'm gonna, I want that guy that's going to fight the little battles because I might not be ready to fight those little battles. Right. So Sean Payton could help be a bridge and, and help, you know, with my knowledge of the game and speed up the behind the scene things where I could just concentrate on certain things. And Sean Payton now has certain things on his plate. Yeah, Sean Payton knows more about football than, you know, most people in the world. And he knows more about the inner workings of the league and the league office. And, you know, he used to be on the competition committee um, for a while. And then in this article, it suggests that or it says that he thought that eventually he's like, take me off the committee. It's a sham committee. It's a PR stunt. Yeah. So, like, he is an anti-authoritarian guy. He, he runs against the grain, even though he's working for one of the biggest corporations, you know, around. He doesn't like people telling him what to do, and he doesn't like um, being held under arbitrary rules and thumbs and things like that. And so I think he's always going to be pushing against the league, and I think that sort of sense of feeling spited or wronged fuels his passion for preparation and wanting to stick it back to him and makes probably makes him a better coach, right? Because he's willing to put in more hours um, and work longer and harder to try to figure out how to win because he might think that if it comes down to it 50-50, they're going to get the jump, Yeah, right? So I got to be even more well-prepared. Yeah, cannot leave it to chance, yeah, right? Yeah, I got to make sure we go out there and we dominate. It, it, there is none of these 50-50 things because in the past, 50-50 have went to the other team because – the league has a beef with me. So maybe that affects the process. Maybe that, in fact, is actually we know that that's true, that that made him get more tired and more yeah. burnt out. But how do you do that as a coach when you're in charge of so many different men and leading so many different men, but yet you're so much in your head? Like football is all about forget the last play, play the next play. Right. And that short, short term memory. And this is how you have to be and walking in life and, you know, taking that leadership role. But now when you hear about Sean Payton and the grudges, yeah, everything kind of contradicts itself. Yeah. You know, from what the typical message that you're being told by any head coach in, in football or really all sports. Yeah, there's a there's a part in this article. Seth Wickersham had access to uh, the facility and to training camp when they pl- practiced against the Rams. And um, Sean Payton, you know, after watching the first joint practice of the Rams, was concerned by the body language of the players, that they weren't moving on past the bad play, that they were dwelling on mistakes, that they weren't getting excited for one another. And it was sort of this, like, entrenched mentality or expectation of losing that's been around here for six or seven years. I have a bigger picture question about ownership and why the Broncos have been bad for six or seven years. Yeah. The idea is, has been that since the Broncos' ownership, the Bolin Trust, Joe Ellis, was in disarray. It affected the product on the field, and the Broncos sucked on the field because of ownership issues. But during this time, they were winning awards as far as the way they tr- treated their employees, mm-hmm. the, w- the way they ran their operation, community service. Everything they did as an organization was top-notch. 
the way they treated everyone in that building. So how does that affect, how does that create poor play on a field? I think because of not being on the same page. Like, I'll tell you this, Nate. It goes back to when I left the Broncos. I sat in John Elway's office because that year before I had moved from right tackle to left guard. Right. And I remember having some resistance, like not wanting to do this because I believed and my agent believed and a lot of my teammates believed that I was a top three right tackle in this league at that point. And it was like, hey, we're moving you. And I was like, no, no, the hell you're not. I'm not moving. I'm going into a contract here. But it became a situation of you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours. So I did it with thinking like, okay, a deal, a long-term deal is going to come, you know, during the offseason, during training camp, during the season. Deal never came. At the end of the season, I looked John Elway in the face and he said, hey, we love what you did. We appreciate everything that you did. And we are going to do everything possible to make sure that we have you back here. We're coming for you. Perfect. Nothing happened the whole entire offseason. First offer that I got when free agent opened up, I told my agent, call the Broncos, tell them I'll take less. My, my agent called the Broncos. It wasn't John Elway that he spoke to. It was the other person that he spoke to because there was two owners during this time. The other person said, we don't have an offer for him. He should take it. Like, we're not going to extend the offer for him. The other person's not a GM, right? So that's two people saying two different things that are at the top right there in my situation. But what about the Mike Shanahan situation? where John wanted Mike and Mike was going to bring Kurt, Joe Ellis vetoes it. What about that? So it's like you could be on the same page on everything outside off the football field, and that's why I think the Broncos have been on the same page because it's like, yeah, I, I don't care about community service. You handle it. But everybody wants to have a fingerprint on what the product is on the field, and you end up pulling in two different directions, so the product ends up being really, really bad. And I think that's why, you know, yeah, there was success off the field. But I think with the lack of ownership, they had a direct effect of the success that could have been had on the field, if that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. That's really well said. And Sean Payton has changed that dynamic here. And the, and the, and the new ownership group, the Walton Penner group, clearly changed that dynamic. Uh, they're on top of it as far as the operations, the community, the business stuff, the stadium. All the stuff that they're doing off the field is top-notch already. And now Sean Payton... And George Payton get to handle all the on-field stuff. Is that going to work? We're fixing to find out. And we're also on the doorstep of week one against the Raiders on Sunday. Six straight losses to the Raiders, eight of the last nine. Are the Broncos going to get back on track against the Raiders? Andrew Mason's going to join us next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents The Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. It's game week. Today's Thursday. Really, the NFL work week is three main days. It's Wednesday, it's Thursday, and it's Friday. So uh, they put in their you know base package stuff yesterday, and they're you know ramping it up today. And uh, they're probably uh, in meetings right now. Just broke their um, team meeting, and now they're breaking up offenses, defense, and, and getting to it. Uh, we are working on getting Andrew Mason here, and he's going to break down this matchup. I'm going to read this text line or this text from the Ramoslaw.com text line. Oh, it's from 970-786. As a Vikes fan, I'll never forgive Sean Payton and the Saints for Bounty Gate. Great coach, but I'm jaded. I'm rooting against him, but my daughter loves the Broncos. Dang it. 
bounty gate, right? We hear that a lot. The, the pay system for hurting players, opposing players. What are your thoughts on that? Did you ever see any of that? Did it matter? Would it have created an incentive for you to play nastier or more violent? Or was that already within you? Uh, that was already within me. Uh, I think Bounty Gate has been around in college for years, though. Um, hey, you get a sack, you know, this dollar amount. Hey, you know what? You go out there and throw, you know, two touchdowns for the quarterback, this. Three, this. You know, over 300 yards. Wide receiver, go have a 100-yard game. Um, I think that's been around in different colleges for years. There's no secret to the college that I went to. They stopped paying guys when I got there in 2006, but before. Is that right? There there was a couple dollars to be had, but there's no secret. I, I do believe that that was around. I think the game of football is a violent sport no matter what. And whether you're trying to hurt somebody or you're not trying to hurt somebody, a person can get hurt. Yeah. Because of the game, right? It's a 100% injury rate. So for me, like, and it wasn't even, from my understanding, it wasn't even Sean, on Sean Payton. It was on defensive was, coordinator. It was, right? it was Greg Williams. Yeah. And Sean Payton got busted and, and punished basically for the cover-up. The cover-up's always worse than the crime, they say. But, I mean, what are you going to do as a head coach? You're going to sell them out to drive? Yeah. Uh, I think that 31 other coaches in the NFL had that been happening with their organization, they probably would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. Typically, you're hiring your buddy a friend or the same agent, whatever the case may be, that person might get a job. You're not trying to burn a bridge. You might need a job from that guy later on in life. Yep. Right? So I think everybody would have did the exact same thing, and Sean Payton had to fall on the sword. Well, we welcome in Andrew Mason right now, senior Broncos writer, denversports.com, on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. Andrew, we're sifting through this uh, Seth Wickersham article on ESPN, and I just want to ask you this question. So uh, it was clear in the article that Sean Payton believes and believed that the league office uh, was tilting games against him and not giving him favorable calls. He presented evidence, and he got tired of it. He got tired of feeling like he wasn't given an equal shot, and so he decided to step away from New Orleans Saints, step away from the game, and now he's back in Denver and believes that this is now a clean slate. Do you think he'll have a clean slate in the eyes of the league office and, more importantly, Roger Goodell? Uh, you'd hope so for the sake of uh, competition. I mean, whether that's the case or not, I don't know. I mean, we're just, you know, just, we're just seeing kind of Sean kind of presenting one side of it. I mean, uh, it's, it's possible that it's not uh, entirely the way that, uh, that, that there's not the malicious intent that, that he sees, but the best way I can answer that fellas is I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mace, what, just what are your expectations this week as far as the running back room goes? Javante looks healthy. Um, Sean Payton is talking about great things about him. But does Jaleel McLaughlin get an opportunity to spin, right? I mean, Booby Miles, let me spin. Does Jaleel McLaughlin get some reps in this week's game and as a part of the game plan moving forward for Sean Payton? Oh, I think so. I think he's going to be a change of pace to draw out there from time to time. I mean, I, I, if you, maybe we don't want to like talk about like the number of snaps because you don't know how many snaps they're going to be, but I'd say if we're talking about a percentage of the running back touches, that would I'd say probably you know anywhere from sixteen to twenty percent of the tu- of the touches from the running back position. So if you've got thirty total touches, that's about five or six for um, uh, for Jaleel McLaughlin. I think that would actually be a pretty uh, a pretty uh, good way to start out the season. Andrew, the Broncos own a 53-70-2 all-time record against the Raiders in the regular season, including a 28-32-2 mark at home. They even have a losing record against the Raiders here 
in the Mile High City uh, where they tend to dominate because of a variety of factors. But if you, you know, in the 60s, basically the Raiders beat them like 19 straight times. Um, and then they've won the last six straight and eight of the last nine. If you were to take the bodies of work, who has whose number, the Raiders or the Broncos? It depends on the era because the Broncos had the Raiders number um, really from the start of Mike uh, the Mike Shanahan era in 1995 um, with just with rare exceptions basically through uh, the Peyton Manning era. I mean, in that time uh, from from 95 through through 20 through uh, Peyton Manning's last start with the Broncos. I believe it was, let's see, 13 and 7 plus uh, 9 and 1, that's 22 and 8, plus um, 1, 2, 3, plus uh, 8 and 3. So that's not what, that's like third, that's like 30 and 11. So you've had that run where the Broncos had the Raiders number in a big way. And then you've had other runs, like you mentioned early in the franchise history, now where the Raiders have had, have, have had it. So, I mean, I don't think, I, I don't think it's a matter of one owning the other. I think they're just eras where, one is on the other, and right now we're in a Raiders cycle, and you're hoping that starts changing on Sunday. Who outperforms who, Mace? Um, Jimmy Garoppolo back with now Josh McDaniels or Russell Wilson with Sean Payton? I think Russ with Sean Payton. I think one thing that's going to favor Russ with Sean Payton is, um, I think, I think the element of surprise. I think Payton's going to probably have some things dialed up that uh, uh, no one anticipates. Uh, it's part and parcel of, of any new coach um, uh, in a new city with a, a new quarterback. You've got a new quarterback, obviously, in Las Vegas, but it's most it's you know a lot of the same pieces around him. It's going to look very familiar, and we know that Josh McDaniels has worked with Jimmy Garoppolo before, so there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more that can go on in terms of the preparation. Um, so, I I think that's going to favor the, the Broncos. The other thing, also, when you talk about the new quarterback element of surprise. Uh, go back to um, early in the 2021 season when Jameis Winston was making his first start uh, for Sean Payton. Goes out there in that first game against uh, Green Bay in Week One, and it's 38-3, and and the and the, uh, the Saints absolutely dominate. I think they're. I'm not saying it's going to be 38-3 on Sunday, but I think there's going to be an element of surprise that helps the Broncos get the win. Okay, so who has the coaching advantage here, Josh McDaniels or Sean Payton, Andrew? I take Sean Payton every time. Why? I mean, Josh McDaniel because Josh McDaniels. I mean, he can put together a brilliant game plan, but can he get everybody moving in the same in, in the same direction for a consistent amount of time? I mean, if we're talking about them, you know, if, if it's if it were equal terms, if it's equal terms, equal teams, I think uh, Sean, Sean Payton's team beats Josh McDaniels' team uh, seven or eight times out of ten. Mm, okay, Mace. A lot's been said about the captains that were announced yesterday. Uh, people were talking about Mike McGlinchey over Garrett Bowles. I want to ask you just about Kareem Jackson because I thought this guy had to go make that football team. How does he end up being a captain for the Broncos? Well, uh, I mean, he's extremely respected as a leader. And uh, I, mean, I think the interesting thing is he makes the team, he's still listed as kind of a joint uh, first-team safety. It's still him, Kareem Jackson or Caden Stearns. But the fact that you have a player who is still kind of in that hazy category of whether he's a starter or not being elected a team captain probably says a lot about how respected he is uh, in that locker room so I mean I, I think it's interesting but I don't think it's well it's a big deal once, once he made the team 
why wouldn't he have been team, team captain? He's done it before. He's he's deeply respected in that room. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I actually think that there's bigger deal being made out of the captains. I had two discussions about, oh, why did Mike Lagoshi get over Garrett Bowles? I mean, is it possible that they just guys that uh, – the, the qualities that Mike McGlinchey have possesses lend themselves to leadership better than the qualities that Garrett Bowles possesses. It could be as simple as that. Part of this article, this Seth Wickersham article on ESPN, talks about Sean Payton's process for watching film. I'm going to quote from the article. He turns his office into something like a meditation studio. He lights candles, turns on a salt stone, sometimes sprays scents into the air. He has an entire cabinet full of candles. He always makes sure the glass cases for two candles are touching. One of his two superstitions, the other being chewing juicy fruit gum during games. Uh, last year, breaking down tape by candlelight was what he missed most. Perfect lighting, he says, relaxing. So when you are breaking down tape, Andrew Mason, do you light candles? Do you, do you put on a salt stone? Do you spray scents into the air? How do you make it just right? Uh, well, I've got these Yankee candle things around my place that make it always smell reasonably nice. Is it that count? Is, is it what is it vanilla? What kind? Sometimes kind. I think I think I've got something autumnal sitting in the closet that I got to put in the little holders here in the next couple of days. So I'm 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 not really tied to one scent. Does that surprise you though that Sean Payton is um, turns his office into a meditation studio? That they, that he has kind of that that instinct, uh, that sort of hippie instinct. Peel back an onion. You got a lot a lot of layers. There's a lot of things we don't know about people and their habits. I, uh, I'm I'm never surprised by anything like that. Never at all. <laughs> hey, Mace. Um, there's been a lot of different storylines this camp. We've talked about all these different things. If you take Russell Wilson out of it, what are you most excited to see about this Broncos team this weekend when you get to watch them on Sunday? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing just how back Javante Williams is. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how the special teams look because there have been plenty of signs of improvement in the protection and, and coverage areas. Um, I'm all, also, I really want to see how, uh, how Zach Allen looks. There have been some nice, there were some nice flashes from him in training camp. I want to see how that, uh, tra- how that translates. I mean, he, you know, he, he's actually got some decent sized shoes to fill because Draymond Jones was an above average interior pass structure. And you're asking Zach Allen to be, uh, to, to be as, as productive or maybe even more more productive. And that's, that's one thing that I think is, uh, it's, it's interesting kind of when you look at the overall roster, um, we're still learning if Zach Allen is going to be better than Draymond Jones. There have been flashes, but I, I want to see just how well he, he handles that role because, uh, the Broncos are going to need plenty of interior pass rush with, um, uh, with, with things on, with things on the edge. I think the edges have some potential, but at the same time, it's not the, the edges aren't proven like they have been, over the years, there's no Bradley Chubb. There's no Vaughn Miller. Uh, you've got uh, some talent, but uh, some question marks. Randy Gregory's health, that sort of thing. And so they're going to need Zach Allen to come up big. Real quick before we get, get you out of here, um, who is the second best defensive player on the Raiders behind Max Crosby? Um, well, are we ruling out? Uh, we're ruling out Chandler Jones, right? Um, because he's potentially unavailable. Yeah. Okay. Second best defensive player 
All right, you answered the question for me. They don't have a very good defense. I think this defense is very vulnerable. I mean, you're, you're, hope, you're hoping that Marcus Peters can be back to his old form. That's sort of that's kind of the thing right there, right? If you can get if you can get Marcus Peters back, there's your second best player. All right, and you know what they say about hope? It's not a strategy, but <laughs> hope. Uh, but but as they said in uh, in Rogue One uh, of the Star Wars saga, rebellions are built on hope. Well, there you go, potato, mm. potato. Thank Star you. Wars. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, buddy. Have a good day. Thanks, no problem, fellas. There he goes, Handy Andy Mason, senior Broncos writer at Denver Sports. Dot com on the Johnson Auto Plaza hotline. All right, uh, look, morning mixtape time. You know about what's going on up the road in Boulder. Well, as rivalry week rolls on and CU prepares for Nebraska, Shadur Sanders thinks he can play even better than he did last week. We'll do that and more in the morning mixtape. Next. The Players Club welcomes you into the morning mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. I think those are the words. Rivalry week rolls on. It's upon us, and CU prepares for Nebraska. Shadur Sanders thinks he can play even better than he did against TCU. I feel like it was all right. I feel like it was cool. I feel like I, I missed a lot of stuff. Uh, we could have bigger numbers and stuff like that. So it's just like I, I watched the game. I, I seen all like the bad clips yesterday and stuff like that, and it left a bad taste in my mouth, really, about it. So I'm just motivated to get out there and just have more perfection and just a better game. Gotta love that mentality for this young man. Breaks a record, throws over 500 yards, shocks the world, and he's like, eh, not good enough. Yeah, um, he was on it, right? I mean, he, he let his wide receivers go out there and get it for him at times. Sometimes he went and said, I want the whole pizza to myself. I can make this big throw. Um, but you can't help but think about some of the, the little ones, right? The first quarter, the Travis Hunter deep throw up the right sideline. Yep. That he kept both hands, but Travis Hunter's not able to cut control it through the ground, yep. right? Yep. So if you're a guy like Shador now that has been told that can you transition to this and you see that you played such a great game, it's it's a great thing that you're over-obsessing about the little things and trying to figure out ways to pick apart your game to get better because, like Dad said earlier, read the Clippins. I promise you, though, you're not as good as they tell you that you are. So I, I like this approach because I think this young man the sky's the limit when you when you have a person that, with that type of mentality. Yeah, I mean, the temptation has to exist to rejoice after that win because it was such a big win. And the goal of this coaching staff is to keep them focused on the next the next the next game. You know, enjoy it this, tonight. Tomorrow we come back and we're we're preparing for Nebraska and we're trying to get you better. And uh, it's funny he talked about the bad plays that he saw. He watched his bad plays, and those are the ones he's harping on. Those are the ones he's trying to improve. And that's the mentality you want from your quarterback. Nothing's ever enough. Tom Brady's his mentor, and you can see that he's rubbing off on him. All right, plenty of discussion on the Heisman conversation emerging since the Buffs upset over TCU. And RG3 has Shadur over Caleb Williams? The top five Heisman frontrunners right now. Number one, Shadur Sanders from Colorado. What they gonna say now? This man just threw for 510 yards against last year's runner-up in the college football playoff. Guess he wasn't only good because he went to an HBCU. Or is it that HBCUs also have extremely talented players? 
stop making excuses. Shadur Sanders, Ben him. And Coach Prime got something cooking up there in Colorado. Buckle up. Okay, so if you can uh, just kind of ignore the extra everything delivered in RG3's performance there. What do you think about the substance of it? Do you think um, do you think Shadur is making a case for the high? I mean, it's one game. But if he keeps playing like this, what are his chances? Oh, if he keeps playing like this, his chances are very great. I think he will win the Heisman if he keeps playing like this. For real. But at the same time, this is football. I mean, you know how it is, Nate. Now it's Nebraska's talking about how they stopped Shadora and how they stopped these four wide receivers who just, just went for 100 yards. And Nebraska's talking about the rivalry and talking about, look what Vegas had us at, the favorite, and now we're the underdog. There's different things. There are different people that are revving that crew up as well. Uh, Shout-outs to Pot Rose. Pot Rose is the defensive line coach for Nebraska. Mm. Big team nightmare. So he, he's coming back. Um, but it's going to be amazing to see how this team adapts and adjusts. Yep. Because that's what it's all about in football. Last year, Coach Evero for the Broncos defense. I thought he was perfect for the most part in how he, at halftime, understood where teams were going to go. Now, does Dion and this offensive coaching staff understand what defenses are going to do to try to take away these different options, and are they able to overcome it? So we're fixing to find out. But if he does play like this, yeah, he's he's winning that Heisman. We're fixing to find out. And then, oh, I lost. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Justin Simmons, Broncos team captain and first team All-Pro, led the league in interceptions last year, tied with six, spoke after practice yesterday and said, Last year, it doesn't matter. It's over. No disrespect to the question. That's not even really a thought. Last uh, year? I just, I mean, it's just like when you, you go from week to week, great win and ugly loss, you just push your hands off to the side and you, you don't even move forward. So I honestly haven't even really thought much, if at all, about it. And I know that a lot of things have been monotonous and a little bit of continuity on that side of it, but it's a new team, a new year, and it's going to be a whole bunch of new. Is that for reals? Like, is that for realsies? Or is he just saying that? Like, is there any way Justin Sims looks in the mirror and, do- and doesn't think about the fact that ever since he got here, he's been playing top-level football and the team has been losing? Like, did, does he does that weigh on him, do you think? I think it's a part of the thought process, no matter what, right? Because, oh my goodness gracious, I just got drafted to the no-fly zone. One of the best defenses in NFL history. And oh my goodness gracious, this Bronco team that I just got drafted to has won the AFC West five years in a row, have made it to the second round of the playoffs at least every single year in five years, right? Has had two Super Bowl appearances. And you think life's going to be great, and then it's not. It just falls off a cliff. So I think that that's deep in the back of his mind somewhere. But at the same time, Nate, as far as last year goes, that's the thought process. Heck, in football, the thought process is that you can't even think about last game. You can't even think about the, when you're in the second half, you can't think about the first half. When you have the first play of the game and it's, there's no success, you can't think of, you, you shouldn't be thinking about it when you're on the second play. So I understand the thought process of not thinking about last year, but I do believe that deep down inside, at some point, Justin Simmons is like, man, I was drafted to a heck of a football team. I thought my career was going to go a lot different direction, and oh, by the way, I haven't made it to the postseason not once since I've been in the NFL. Yeah, Sean Payton's been brought in to change that, and and I, I, I do agree that Justin Simmons being honest, and he's talking about now, because, you know, I'm looking back in my, my NFL career, I'm, I was never in the middle of a new season thinking about the last season. 
That season was dead. It was about what you're doing today. I wasn't even thinking about the last week or the last day or the last play. You have to move forward. And um, and that's exactly what Justin Simmons is doing. And, you know, when Sean Payton got here, he played a video of them for them of a Ford Bronco driving off a cliff. Mm. And that was to symbolize that last year is gone. I think it's a lot easier, too, offensively to get that concept a lot faster. Because how many times have you came in at halftime, Nate, and the offensive play caller just basically ripped up the playbook? And now all of a sudden we're talking about like new concepts and we're going to get to, we're going to run the ball out of this formation that wasn't in the game plan. And then we spent all week practicing. Yeah. And, and hey, tight end, you got to make sure that you come hard back and you got to get the cut. Like, and it's almost like you're designing new plays at halftime. Yeah. And that happens all the time on offense. With defense, it's kind of like, hey, cover three is cover three, cover two is cover two. Right. So your playbook's 10 pages and you carry it the whole entire season. Right. Right. But offensively, it's easy to kind of, move on fast and have that short-term memory loss because of just the challenges of the NFL and you're constantly trying to go to a place where you think the defense coordinator has not even thought about as an offensive play caller. A lot of guys in that locker room that deserve to win. Justin Simmons uh, among them and no one more than Justin Simmons. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him celebrate a Super Bowl. Yeah, this year, next year, the year after that, we'll see. Football is officially underway, guys. Today, tonight, the NFL season begins. The Chiefs and the Lions. The Chiefs are going to be without Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. Does that give the Lions a chance for an upset tonight, Oh, I think the Lions are going to definitely come out and, and continue going down the road that they were on last year. You know, that winning streak towards the end. I think that's a, a, a football team that's changed. The mentality has changed. And they're going to win a lot of football games this year. Now, are they going to be a double-digit win team or, or a single-digit win team? I have no idea. But I think they're going to be right on the cusp. But at the same time, KC still a juggernaut, even without Chris Jones, even without the possibility to Travis Kelsey. But the most important thing, the most important thing, I think they're going to, whatever the spread is, they'll cover. Four and a half. Okay, so I think they'll cover that. The, the Chiefs will or the I Lions? I think the Lions will. It's going to be a close game. I, I think they'll, be, they'll come out and they're, they're going to play tough. They're going to buy some kneecaps. Yeah. yeah. I mean, isn't, like, Dan Campbell the the Dion of, of like, NFL? In some ways, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 the, the over-energetic, and isn't he? But um, we coming. We, we we fixing to find out. But I, I do like Detroit. I think Detroit is going to make some real noise this year, for sure. I like him a lot, too. We got to know him a little bit last year through Hard Knocks. And they started off the season and weren't winning a lot of games, but there was close games. And then they went on a streak there at the end. Jared Goff's playing very well. Yeah. Um, they got some talented receivers, some yeah. talented backs, hungry defense. Um, they play know, together. They play the right way. They, and they play hard, too, yep. man. Yep. yep. I mean, it's not like they look at specific guys to make plays. They do it collectively as a team. Yep. Well, we've talked a lot about the disarray that the Broncos have been in and just kind of the clown show element to trying to find the right guy at the helm. And um, one would think conventional wisdom is that a team with a new coaching staff is at a disadvantage. Sean Payton thinks otherwise. That's next.